I don't, I don't typically like to start these things with big, with big fancy introductions, you know. But uh, <laughs> you, you deserve one, and uh, okay. and I've written it out. So give me just a minute here, and I'll read this, uh, and we'll just chat. Dr. Alan Sachs is a renowned political scientist, author, lecturer, raconteur, and philanthropist. He is Professor Emeritus at University of Texas Arlington, where he has informed and stretched young minds since 1965. Half of uh, the city of Arlington seems to bear his name. Places like uh, Alan Sachs Park, the Alan Sachs Dental Clinic. What is that about? It's a low-cost or no-cost dental clinic at Mission Arlington. Cool. Alan Sachs Field. That's a, what, a softball field? It's a softball field. And then uh, what is uh, commonly referred to as the Allen Sachs Parkway. What, what, what is it? That, that went to the dump, I believe, right? That's right. It did. All right. Uh, that came with some criticism you had of the city council at some point, I guess. Anyway, Alan, it's great to talk to you again. Enjoyed Thank our you. conversations for many years over the, on the radio. And uh, this is going to be a special chat because you have, you've lived through a lot of history. You've watched... Uh, You've watched the birth and death of nations. You've studied world politics for many decades. What do you make of the world today and, and its future? It's a mess. <laughs> and I'm very pessimistic about, about the future. Why is that? Uh, I don't think there's any great leaders around to lead it in the right direction. Uh, Joe Biden is too old. I'm as old as he is, and I can barely talk as most of you know, and um, I, I think he is um, incompetent to lead this country into um, a new age. We need strong leadership, honest leadership, and uh, his background is a bit murky, but uh, so I don't, I don't have many confidence. You look around the world and you say, where are the leaders? Vladimir Putin, hardly so, uh, and others. So I think we're in trouble. Um, there was a recent Pew Research survey out that found only two out of ten Americans trust the federal government. Two-thirds believe that most politicians are in it for their own personal gain. I don't expect that, I mean, these numbers may be bigger than in the past, but I imagine that the, uh, the, uh, the sentiment is about the same as it has been in the past. What are the, what are the problems that could really uh, help this country? And I expect that the citizens have to be part of the solution. That people in our political parties, the leadership, have to recognize that they have to put uh, the country above their own, um, their own ideas. And uh, I'm very much afraid of where this country is going. Uh, comparisons are very difficult, but if you look at the Weimar Republic in Germany, the 1930s. There are some strange and bizarre comparisons to America of, of today. I hope I'm wrong. Comparisons are awful, faulty at times. But I think we could be uh, going in the same direction as Weimar Germany. Uh, in inflation, um, a political party that is, has uh, violence in the street. That's the Democratic Party. We see that today again in regard to the abortion controversy. Uh, violence in the street. 
and yet uh, they're also making their presence very strongly known uh, in Washington and the Congress of the United States and the Senate and the House. And uh, meanwhile, they're on the street beating people up. It's exactly what happened in the 1930s. It's not a complete comparison, but it's pretty good. I can remember years and years ago, as you can, that uh, there were demonstrations held for any political activity or, or any policy issue, uh, either nationally or internationally. But they were peaceful demonstrations. They were respectful. And, and, and I can't understand what has happened to people since then. Where have we lost our sense of dignity and, uh, and patriotism and therefore respect for each other? Our major institutions, including uh, universities, our public schools, have been taken over by a radical group that knows that they can use those institutions because we have trust on them, uh, not for good ends. So we have, and I've always argued that once you capture the, the, the language, uh, the, I'm not the first person to say this, but if you capture the language and then you capture the culture, uh, you're halfway there. That's exactly what the radical left has done in this country. They've captured our culture, they've captured our language, and uh, now they're off and running. Who is the radical left? The radical left, I would argue, is a good part of the Democratic Party. Uh, the Nancy Pelosi's, the uh, Chuck Schumer's, uh, a lot of the people on that um, January 6th um, committee. Now, it's hard for me to talk. I have Parkinson's disease. Yeah, so you're fine. And it's difficult to talk. Uh, but uh, a lot of the people on that committee, um, that's the radical left. The AOCs, the Alana Omars, uh, Regina T uh, Talibs, uh, they're, they're Maxine Waters, who said the other day in regard but, to abortion, for, forget the Supreme Court, she said. And it's a, uh, it's a, um, a very small but dedicated group. Are they driven by ideology, or or are they are they being, you know, herded by some nefarious uh, overlord or something? I think they're being driven mostly by ideology that they accumulated in college. When I hear all these people who went to Harvard, I'm saying, what a what a deal! Harvard used to be the epitome of intellectualism and uh, questioning. Now you want to run away from it. So many of our greatest universities, I would argue most of them now are captured by that culture, by the radical left and the, uh, the, the uh, ideology runs from strong uh, messages to just almost stuff you want to laugh at about, like the use of pronouns. If you, if you, know what that is, yeah. where they want people to yeah, use the yeah. proper pronoun. It, it's gotten to the point where it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, funny and yet very dangerous at the very same time. And the students who graduate in these places, 
many of them know very, very little. For example, if you ask a lot of them, what was the Weimar Republic, W-E-I-M-A-R, a very critical part of the 20th century and ideology. I doubt many of them could, 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 could tell you. If you ask them who was Mao, um, who was Joe and Lai, that they cannot tell you the names, Vladimir Lenin, that, that they couldn't tell you. And that's dangerous when they don't know the history, but yet they're participating in a uh, redoing of it. You you were uh, you were still teaching at UT Arlington not long ago, and uh, you have, as I said at the beginning, you've been instructing and and giving giving thought to uh, to young people using their brains for matters political and social for a very long time. Have you seen the students themselves? These young have you seen changes in the way young people approach uh, their considerations of these things? Oh yes. Uh, many of the young people, not all, but many of them um, are right on the verge of being violent, uh, just like they do on the streets. I had in one classroom uh, about three years ago, right after Donald Trump was elected, and I brought up the issue of Donald Trump. He had just been elected, and I said, we ought to discuss his cabinet. Who are these people that he's selecting? And one student on the near front row, who seemed to be, be rather nice, he had a t-shirt on that said things that were not so nice. But then he said, when I mentioned some of the cabinet members, he drew uh, a, a, a photo, uh, sort of drew a picture of uh, a throat being cut. And I thought, God, I've never seen that before in a classroom where a student says about members of the United States cabinet, I want to cut their throats. And it scared me a little bit. And uh, some people in the room were sort of shocked by it as well. And maybe not as much as they should have been. This is the difference between today and yesterday. Uh, many of the students today um, will um, come out and criticize people in the classroom perfectly okay, but they'll do that in a manner, it's a manner that would never have been understood or uh, comprehended or brought into picture years ago. So we've lost our sense of courtesy uh, at the university level and college professors about the same. Um, when you talk about college professors, we had this idea of who they were and uh, I used to respect them very much today and not, 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 not so much. What, what's happening? I, I, I really don't expect you to have an answer, but it's a question that we're all asking. And I mean, you're talking about a student who uh, suggested uh, a, a violent act against members of the United States government. And, uh, you know, we've seen this blossom into school massacres uh, only, only recently here in Texas. 19 children and two adults cut down for no apparent reason other than the fact that uh, people are losing their minds. As young people in particular seem to be, uh, seem to have, have no sense of morality, of right and wrong, and they're angry. Why is everybody so angry? Um, that's a good question. I try to answer it myself. I think it's because many of our institutions, educational being first, first and foremost, 
have been taken over by uh, a radical group of teachers, of professors, and uh, they have demeaned the culture. They have graduated students that uh, don't know much uh, of history or of literature. The old way has been thrown out and uh, this new stuff has come in. And why we've let it come in uh, is, is, is baffling to me. And a lot of professors go along with it because they don't want to be ostracized. That's a good point. Uh, it's one that I've heard uh, talked about quite a bit. There is, a, there is a bill that was reintroduced in Congress just recently, and President Biden was talking about it. It's called the Civics Secures Democracy Act. This would imply, and the idea is for the federal government, which apparently has no bottom to its uh, national treasury, they're going to give billions of dollars to, uh, to uh, school uh, uh, districts if this bill passes, and they would have to... They would have to qualify for the money, of course, which means they have to compete for the money, and uh, this money would be used to uh, to uh, help uh, uh, help instruct students in history and civics and the things that we seem to have lost track of over, over the years. Now, critics say this is a this is a way for Democrats to foist critical race theory down the throats of the students. Why is it that people in the highest levels of government? can understand how to present a bad idea so that it looks like a good idea without thinking it's a good idea, if that makes any sense at all. Um, they've lost their way. I don't know how else to put it, uh, but many of these individuals uh, no longer think of America. They no longer think of their own education, and uh, it's a scary prospect. And. Uh, Frankly, I'm glad I'm away from it. If I was in it, I'd be ostracized, yelled at. Uh, I, I wonder what would happen if I walked on, a, on any college campus, a big one, with a MAGA hat on. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think I'd be pilloried. And it was... Um, Is that where your... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Is that where, where your political leanings lie? Are you, would, you, would you wear that MAGA hat if you, if you could? Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes I would. Yeah. I think Donald Trump, to talk about him in particular, I think that um, his personality is overdone. He needs to do all the things that his critics have said, uh, be quiet a little bit, be more quiet. I sort of take that to myself as well. But Mr. Trump needs to calm down a little bit. But his ideas are on target. Uh, he has uncovered a lot of American government that needed to be uncovered, and most people did not know it was there. But I also think it shows that when he came to power, a lot of people were with him because they had a, um, I don't know how to put it, a very uneasy feeling about government and the people that ran it. So when Donald Trump comes along, a lot of people uh, 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 applauded. And I said, that's how I, that's how I feel too. So he came along at that right time to uncover and to allow a voice from America that had been there for a long time. By the way, America's had some problems in the past. Uh, before the Depression, uh, early part of the 20th century, 
with the rise of revolutions around the world. We got into that too a little bit. There were bombs outside of Wall Street. And uh, so we've had our problems earlier than, than, than today. But today it's also come to life again. It's a very dangerous thing. Uh, I like peace and quiet and predictability. And we don't have any of that today. Right. You know, people are always saying that how, uh, uh, the, how we are, Americans are more politically polarized now than ever before. Of course, those are people who haven't been around for ever. That's right. You know? And uh, you, you, you can go back to you can go back to the history of the colonial days when the, when the country was just being founded and the That's elections right. were just revving up. And there were some there were some brutal politics in those days, outrageous lies about polit- politicians and their opponents. Uh, so it's really kind of part it's kind of part of the game, right? Until exactly. you get to a point where it becomes radicalized and uh, and and violent. Polarization has been part of America for a long time, and uh, violence has been part of this country unfortunately for a long time as well. But we haven't been used to this. Uh, We've had generally a lot of quiet. We came out of the Second World War, uh, victorious, the premier country in the world, economically and militarily, and we're not used to anything else. So when all those things begin to disappear, it shocks a lot of us. And I'm one of them that has just been shocked. When I see these people on television, I think, my gosh, where are we? When I see the AOCs and the Maxine Waters is yelling about doing away with the Supreme Court, yelling about things, it, it, it's a scary prospect. I like to study this stuff. I don't want to be a part of it. But it looks like a lot of people are being drawn into it, whether we like it or not. I uh, noticed that uh, this last week in the news, we saw that the... Uh um, Texas, uh, the Texas Republican Party uh, got together and they started uh, proposing planks for their platform running up to the midterm elections. And among those is a platform that, that, cons- that de- defined homosexuality as an abnormal lifestyle choice. As such, the acting chair of the Log Cabin Republicans of Texas has resigned and he says a couple more of the officers of that organization, that is log cabin Republicans being uh, gay Republicans in Texas. Uh, it, it, it seemed like this kind of proclamation by the party was probably unnecessary and politically exactly. unwise at this point. Yeah, they didn't need to do that. And there were some other pretty, pretty extreme uh, measures taken there. Have the political parties gotten farther apart in recent years than, than Oh, before? yes. They're much farther apart. I remember in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, the main criticism of the two political parties is that they were so similar. Today, you laugh at that. They're worlds apart. One is on Mars and the other here on Earth. So they are worlds apart today. And so the criticism of yesterday that they were too close together certainly is not appropriate for today's political parties. Speaking of political parties, um, why why is the two-party system a good system as opposed to other countries that have parliaments and you know 10, 12, 15 different political parties and they seem to keep holding uh, 
confidence votes every few months? That's a great question. The idea given out of textbooks is that our two political parties cemented us together, that they absorbed all the other minor political parties that may have been more radical, and they brought them all together in one big tent. And maybe that was good for a while, but today that's not so true. Today, these little political parties that are radical are capturing the main parties. But at one time, the two political parties solidified the country. They cemented it together. But today, that's not true. Here's a question I'm sure came up in your classes all the time, at least every four years. Um, and that is uh, people griping about the Electoral College and how it works and how we've elected presidents who didn't get the majority vote and all that. Can you explain why the Electoral College system is a good thing? It was a way to allow the different states to participate, even though they were not the, the huge states. It's a way of allowing the Rhode Islands, the New Hampshires, the Vermonts, the Alaskas to participate as much as New York or California. If we did not have the Electoral College, two or three states would dominate the whole process. So the Electoral College was a way our found the, the people who wrote the Constitution were really in, ingenious in the way they did it. They had the same problems of today. The country was breaking apart. We barely made it. And so after we made it, they kept thinking, how in the world do we stay together? And one of them was the Electoral College. I think it was a brilliant idea for that time and place. Today, we hear people who don't like the abortion decision, the abortion case that was just handed down. They're calling for the abolition of the Electoral College. That's a bad idea. The Electoral College is a very unique and way to allow the small states to have some resonance against the larger states. And it's not just about uh, locations and the size of populations, is it? Because we find that in areas of large populations on the West Coast and the East Coast, the big cities is where you find predominantly uh, left-wing or liberal thinking, Democrats, in other words. And I'm not trying, right. I'm not trying to label anybody in such a way that uh, they would be offended. I'm just saying this is a fact. Even in Texas, which is often referred to as a red state, well, all of our major cities, Dallas and Houston, San Antonio, Austin, and they're all uh, so-called red or uh, blue cities. They're dem democratically inclined. So you have people in various parts of the country who have different attitudes because of their lifestyles. People who live in farmland, people who live in ranch lands, people who live in mountains and, and areas that are uh, generally economically supplied by the fishing trade and so forth. They all have their own political similarities because of their own personal needs, and they need to be accounted for. And immigration. I think this is one of the reasons why the Democrats want to open the border so much, because it will allow for more of this to filter into their political party and to their political um, agenda. So the immigration issue has always been a big one, but today, very, very much. This country is so large. I think it's the third largest country in the world. Over 330 million people, uh, perhaps right behind China and uh, maybe and India. This is the third largest country in the world. 
and the population growth is just accelerating with the immigrants pouring in from all over the world. By the way, what is interesting, at the time of this country, it was very, very small in population, maybe five or six million huddled on the east coast of the United States in those colonies. It was very small, and yet they still had their problems. Today we have this gigantic country, very heterogeneous. I'm amazed we've done as well as we have up to this point. Well, speaking of immigration, is there another country in the world that just throws open the gates and says, come on in? Because that's essentially what's been going on here for several years now. Uh, just over the period of the last 10 months, 207,000 illegal immigrants were just turned loose. They said, well, we haven't got room to house you, so uh, go out and uh, do what you want to do and uh, make sure that you stop by an immigration office before too long and check in. And, you know, and, and of course, the people who are in favor of this say, if you don't like it, that makes you a racist. Everything makes you a racist these days. I don't know of any other country that just allows people to come on across the border and, and do what they wish. They don't, but of course, nobody wants to go to these other countries. America, stupid, with all of its faults, <laughs> still is this amazing country that will give you, when you cross the border, food, water, sustenance, uh, a credit card, <laughs> and, and off you go. So a lot of people just don't want to go to these other countries. It's a big difference. Maybe we've reached a point we have democracy, and I don't know if democracy works with 330 million plus people. Uh, a lot of people have argued democracy, the way we've talked about it in the past, was good for a small agricultural nation, which we are not that today. We're still agricultural in many ways, but small, hardly. So I don't know if democracy as an idea can work very well with 330 million people from all over the world, thousands more coming in every day, legally, Ill illegally. So democracy may not be fit for this kind of a society. You're taking me right to what I was going to ask you next is, is uh, and I think a lot of people, certainly I agree with you about the U.S. Constitution and uh, the founders. The founders were, if not divinely inspired, some of the gr some of the greatest people that ever lived in terms of their ability to uh, put together ideas and guidelines that would work for two, three hundred years. Uh, it, it's absolutely amazing, and other, other nations have very successfully copied our Constitution. But does the Constitution still work? And if democracy is not going to be the uh, form of government that's best suited to, to this country, uh, what other form of government would, be, would work better? I don't know. And I certainly don't want any kind of an autocracy or a strong man to come in and take over. That's what I think a lot of people would, would like. But I'm beginning to believe that democracy as we've known it may not be a perfect fit for what we've established. Somebody said one time that democracies can last about 200 years. I don't know where they got that number from, but that's what they've said. They may be right. When you look at it, about 200 years, the American democracy has stayed afloat. We've now merged this magnificent country, uh, powerful militarily, economically, but at the same time, teetering on the brink. 
And so you begin to wonder that maybe those who talked about democracy just not been able to hold on for more than 200 years, that they, they, they may have been right. Not that anything wrong with what we've established, but it just doesn't work. Poverty, uh, drugs, all those things seem to be seeping into our culture. Maybe they've always been there, but today it seems like we cannot handle them as well as we did years ago. So I'm, I'm, I'm pessimistic. We not be, may not be able to make it. Uh, there may be other, the world shifts, it changes, and there's a good possibility that there will not any, any more be in America as we've known it. In fact, it's already something very different than what a lot of people have thought about. You've said a couple of things that uh, I want to come back to and kind of work toward the end of the conversation. We've been going about half an hour now. Uh, you said you, you started off by saying, and you just said again, you're very pessimistic. And uh, I'm wondering, and, and I asked you early on, I think, uh, you know, what, what will it take to put the country back on the right course and on the right path? And uh, you said something about, you know, we need strong, true leaders. Uh, from, from, from your own personal perspective over the time that you've lived, who are these people? Name some of them. It's not Joe Biden. <laughs> but when you think about uh, the, the Roosevelt's, the Eisenhower's uh, in our own lifetime, perhaps, Harry Truman. Uh, but they needed, it wasn't just a one-man deal. Uh, it was uh, somebody that was inspirational. But they were working with a country that wanted the country to move in a certain direction. So it was never just one man. It was a lot of things that carried them along. I'm thinking of Franklin Roosevelt, uh, who was in a wheelchair as I am, you can't see it now, but I'm in a wheelchair. And Franklin Roosevelt was in a wheelchair, but the country was with him. But even then, they didn't know that he was in a wheelchair. They didn't know that he was so bad off, but he had a, a, a tremendous voice and his policies were uh, very interesting. He had a bunch of, of um, advisors around him that talked about uh, the, the so-called New Deal and it worked. But that was a time and a place America was much smaller. We were still an agricultural nation. Uh, everything was different. So you can't just make it over. You gotta have something to work with. And I think in America, it's uh, gone off in different directions. Like a herd of, uh, what do they say, a herd of cats or something like this. You can't grab them all together and put them in one place. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pessimistic. I hope I'm wrong, but our, our, our universities, our colleges, our public schools are in, in danger, really in, in danger. And I'm amazed to, to think of this. In Texas, we have a Republican legislature that finances to a great extent many of our public universities that are directed by the left and by Democrats. You wonder what is it about a Republican legislature, sometimes a very die-hard Republican legislature, that's allowing this to happen. So they're 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 stuck also, and uh, so and this is true in, in many states, just like not 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 just uh, uh, Texas, but in many states we have a legislature that is of one ideological set.
and yet they're, they're giving millions, billions of dollars to people that would ab abolish what they're doing. So it's a strange thing that we are uh, our, our own worst enemy, so to speak. Yeah, the irony is, is rich. Did you ever consider at any time, did you ever consider running for uh, office? I ran for Arlington City Council years ago, 30, wow. 35 years ago, and lost. I just a small amount, but I'm sort of glad I lost. I've been bored to death sitting up there listening to zoning cases and everything else, falling asleep. <laughs> and I think I would have, you know, I'd, 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 I'd wake him up. And so I don't think that it would have, it would have worked. But my ego was pulling at me at that time. And some students wanted me to run. So I did. It was in, sort of in my heyday. And I was thinking, oh boy, this is going to be great. I love to make speeches. I love to talk, as you can tell. And uh, it just, it, it worked for a while. Got into a runoff against some very powerful people. And yet uh, I lost. But I'm sort of glad that I did. Maybe that's... Uh, you know, look, looking back over my shoulder and saying it could have been worse, but uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Well, I was just about to point out that I mentioned a Pew Research thing a little while ago that uh, only two out of ten Americans have any faith in their federal government. That same research, if you dig a little bit deeper, however, found one point of optimism, and that is a majority, and I don't remember the percentage, but it was a pretty healthy majority, 70%, maybe it was 80%, I don't know, who, who have uh, pretty strong faith in their local governments. So I can believe that's a, that's a seriously good start. It, it, it is. Uh, I, I understand that poll, and uh, I have uh, sometimes I have pretty good faith and local government, although nobody knows who they are, and or or what they do, but it's a, a little bit more understandable than the federal government, or the state government even. So it's more or, or county government. So it's more understandable. Well, those people, the people who run for town councils and so forth, uh, they're not getting rich. They're not getting famous. They're putting in a lot of their own personal time working on very boring but important issues, as you said, zoning And, and they're your next-door neighbor sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alan, before I let you go, I'm just kind of curious. How are you doing? Um, oh, hey, let me just mention again, we mentioned in passing in the early going, uh, you talking about President Roosevelt being in a wheelchair and nobody knew that, and, uh, and as you are. And uh, you did point out that you've got Parkinson's. And that ha makes it a little more difficult for you to speak at times. But you certainly, you're, you're sound of mind, my friend. And uh, you are my second consecutive interview with somebody who has Parkinson's, just uh, totally coincidentally. How are you doing with it? How long I have you had heard, it? I, uh, about uh, two years. But I think I had it longer than that and just didn't know it. Yeah. You know, it wasn't diagnosed yeah. right. Nobody knew it. It's one of those diseases where sometimes you have it, but it's not as noticeable until it really flares up. And now mine is really flared up, you know. But uh, yeah. life is tough. And uh, I've, I've always, even when I was much younger, I had polio when I was eight years old. So they didn't right. finish with me when I was eight. They got me 80 years later. And so uh, they weren't finished with him. And so they got me again. And uh, life is really very, very rugged. And it's not easy to um, handle these things. 
uh, what you need if you get sick is not a good doctor. You need somebody that is helpful to your side. A good wife, a good husband, a good caretaker. That's who gets you through it. It's not a doctor. It's not the pills. It's not the diagnosis. It's a good partner. That's who can get you through these things. Eleanor Roosevelt was the key person in Franklin Roosevelt's life. What she did to help him get through all of his illnesses, and he had many, was amazing. So she was the real hero. It wasn't the medical doctors that put him in the wheelchair or put his or or gave him braces uh, to wear or anything like that. It was uh, Eleanor who really did it for Franklin. Well, you're inspirational, my friend. Um, are you happy? Are you how are you how are you doing well in retirement? Keeping no. busy? No. I don't like retirement. Uh, I may volunteer and go back to the college for a while to volunteer for something. I don't know if they'll let me back on the campus or not. <laughs> but if they will, I'd like to volunteer at the Disability Center. They really have, UTA has attracted over the years many, many thousands of disabled people. It was at the forerunner of colleges that made way for disabled people. Uh, ramps uh, into buildings, uh, cutting curbs, so they made things a little bit easier long before the uh, the Disabilities Act. So they, they were doing those things. So I'm proud of that. So I may try to go back there and work in the disabilities office. I don't know what I would do. Just sit there and wave to people and, and that's about it. But uh, Or maybe in some other places. I don't think my own department would let me back in the door. So I doubt if the political science department would even allow me back in. But there may be some others that would allow me to wave or something. They they ought to be they ought to be naming that building after you. It's unbelievable <laughs> that uh, the people in in your own department where where you uh, were a, a standout for so many years, going back to 1965. And by the way, for anybody who doesn't know, this man is uh, he's a national icon. Everybody contacts him for uh, for political insights and. And uh, at, at election time in particular, it's hard for us here locally to get in touch with him sometimes because he's too busy with the networks and so forth. I can't imagine that your own colleagues or at least people who now work in the department uh, that you lorded over, in a manner of speaking, would uh, would look askance at you and look down upon you. They do. <laughs> I think they do. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But I don't think so. Alan, thank you very much for your time. I thank appreciate you. this more By than the you way, can I have, For all my criticism for universities and colleges, I have great affection for what they should be, for what they should be, not what they are necessarily, but just the idea. I, my favorite time of day at UTA was in the evening. I would get off about 5, 6 o'clock and walk to my car, and the campus was getting a little bit barren at the time. And I really enjoyed it. That was the height of my life at that moment, walking on a campus that was pretty well deserted, five, six, seven o'clock in the evening, not many people around. And it was wonderful. It was really wonderful. I can't imagine a better place to be.